Bikram was beginning to introduce elements of the training that were designed to break us down. Concentration, patience, faith, determination, determination willpower, concentration, self-control, self control of mind, discipline. You don't have to believe it all. You don't have to accept it all. Don't argue, don't question, just trust the process. Part two, process. I want to invite all of you from all over the world to teacher training with your friend, with your student, with your school owner, family, children, everybody. In order to grow, in order to take full advantage of the rising wave of yoga in America, Bikram needed teachers, lots of teachers. I used to teach nearly, you know, five teachers. So we started teacher training. So we have 1,800 graduates that are going around the world and opening schools. Bikram launched a teacher training program, a way to mass-produce teachers in nine-week sessions. I would suggest it to anybody. Everyone can benefit, uh, the young, the, the old. The first training was in 1994, and it was small, 30-some-odd students. But by 2000, teacher training took off. Bikram was doing two trainings a year and getting hundreds of students at each training. It enables me to live my life. You know, I have a full-time job, I have a child, and I practice Bikram, and now I'm going to be teaching. You will get the results that have been promised to you. My name's Janelle. I'm Martha Williams. Alex Wheeler. My name is Jennifer Boyle. I went to Bikram Yoga teacher training in fall of 2005. 2007. 2011. I'm Wendy Cooley. Eric Jennings. Tiffany Friedman. I was in uh, 2007. Mine was in 2000. There was a little brochure on the wall in a studio in Key West. And the teacher, I was leaving his class one day, and he said, you know, you should think about going to the teacher training. The excitement of going to teacher training was real. I had a specific teacher that said to me, there's a certain point as a pr practitioner that it's your responsibility to be a teacher. I can tell you from my own experience managing a studio and always assuming I would go to training someday, that it was seen as an honor, validation for all the hours and money and sweat you'd poured out on the mat. And it was an important step. My partner Jackie went to teacher training. Well, I figured if I went to teacher training, we could open a studio or we could travel teaching. We were young. I had the, the light bulb idea that uh, this would probably be a nice way out of um, the career I was in. Everyone in my life thought I was crazy, and I went down to San Diego for nine weeks. The way the Bikram world worked, it was the way, the only way, to become a teacher and perhaps someday open a studio of your own. And I remember thinking, like, how proud I would be. Imagine what it's going to be like when people ask me, what do you do for a job? And I would say, oh, I'm a Bikram yoga teacher. Jill Lawler was just 17 years old when she first walked into a Bikram studio in Vancouver, Canada. It really transformed me mentally, physically, spiritually. It changed my life for the better. And I wanted to share that feeling with my friends and family and the rest of the world. I really, at that time, was convinced that everybody should do this yoga and that if everybody did it, the world would be a better place. So she decided she needed to go to training. Getting into teacher training doesn't take much. You need to be at least 21 years of age. You need to be able to pay the hefty tuition, which could cost as much as $16,000.
and you need a letter from a studio owner vouching for your dedication to the practice. That's it. You're supposed to be 21 to go into the training, but I was 18. So I um, I just wrote a letter to Bikram basically explaining how the yoga changed my life and please let me in early. She sent it along with a letter from her studio owner and she talked to her parents about covering the $10,000 it would cost her to go. My parents had a college fund for me that I just begged them to let me use some of it for teacher training and said that like, I'll just pay my own way through the rest of school if it comes to that. A few weeks later, Jill got a short note back from headquarters. I got a response that was one sentence, no like, hi Jill, no beginning, no end, just one sentence that said, give us your address, comma, we'll send you the dialogue, period. That was all that was in the email. Jill and every other trainee were sent a copy of the dialogue which is the script to a Bikram yoga class that they'll have to memorize in order to be certified as a teacher. They also get a welcome packet. Liz Winfield got hers when she signed up in 2011. She still has it. It starts with this letter and sets some clear expectations. The most important thing is to listen to Bikram. Don't judge, label, or argue. Just listen. Consider everything he says. Hold back judgment, expectation, and even questions. Most will get answered by the process. Avoid getting involved in anything that can distract your attention from the training. These things include family, job, relationships, other people's dramas, including and especially your fellow trainees and the outside world. End quote. Just trust the process. Just trust the process, no matter what might be in store. After getting her one-sentence notice of approval, Jill borrowed from her college fund and went to training. It had been years since the whole operation could be held at Bikram's headquarters in L.A. Now they were held at hotels and resorts. Hers was held at the Las Vegas Hilton. I remember, especially being from Canada, from Vancouver, the most shocking thing was like culture shock was walking into the casino and seeing someone smoking inside. I was like, oh, my God, like, does anybody see that person? They're smoking inside. And then I realized that there's like 10 other people smoking inside. So... It was a really weird atmosphere to have a teacher training. Everyone stays at the hotel. The students, the staff. The hotel is basically a little town, your new home for nine weeks, with Bikram running the show from his penthouse suite. This was also the first time that I was away from my like parents and my boyfriend and my whole family and hometown ever. So it was the first like independent adult thing I had ever done, and I just felt on top of the world being there and just the energy with being surrounded by 400 like-minded people. It really felt like we were all a big family that all wanted the world to be a better place. It was really a beautiful energy. Day one, Rajasri gets up there at teacher training. We are your family now. Everybody's so hungry to hear that because they've left their family, so they need a family. And they don't have anybody there. And so, oh, this is my family now. And that's why it's called the yoga family. Anywhere you go in the world, if you're part of Bikram Yoga, you're part of the family. If this was a yoga family, Bikram's wife, Rajashree, was the mom. She just always smelled of jasmine and, I mean, she's just beautiful. She's like a goddess. She was there to make the trainees feel at home, to start building a sense of community. A lot of people say she's the one who came up with the idea for teacher training in the first place. 
Rajashree, who deserves at least as much credit as he does. And as vice president of Bikram Yoga Inc., her signature would also be on your teacher training certificate. Teacher training is a show. Benjamin Lohr wrote a book called Hellbent about his time as a member of the Bikram community. As part of writing that book, he did teacher training. The training's filled with senior teachers who come in, they fly in on their own expense out there to teach a class in front of their guru, and they lead the room. And it's a, it's a big deal if you're a teacher. There were the first-time attendees, the wannabe teachers, the staff, the senior teachers, but everyone was really there for the star of the show, Bikram Chowdhury. Bikram was a rock star in that community, and there were women who were throwing themselves at him. I remember at my training, there were the women in bikinis who would line up in front of him and show off their practice to him and look for his approval. When I first started the teacher training, a lot of people wanted to come not to be a teacher, to come to teacher training and spend uh, two, three months, seven, eight hundred hours with me. I had a lot of gratitude for him inventing the yoga and was really excited to meet him. Jill got her chance to meet Bikram at his welcome lecture. The welcome lecture took place in a tent outside the Las Vegas Hilton. I remember he was wearing like really tight white pants <laughs> and then like a really tight shirt and like flashy sunglasses or something like that. Like he looked very L.A. Uh, he looked really healthy, like amazing for whatever, how old he was, I don't know. You see a 70-year-old man in that shape telling you that this yoga works, it's kind of hard not to like believe him, right? My wife, did you meet her? Yeah. She, she sleeps. She sleeps like a 22 hours a day. <laughs> My name is Sleepy Yogi. When I go home, she's sleeping. I come out, she's sleeping. I thought he was really funny. His charisma was awesome. And I also liked that he was authentic. This was the man responsible for the yoga she practiced. The man she'd come to learn from. The man that she would call guru. That's why I said you are one of the most luckiest, intelligent, clever, smart, mad person in the world. You decided sacrifice your life or share your own personal experience with the rest of the world to help them, to save their life. Bikram speaks directly to trainees who have left jobs, families, boyfriends, girlfriends, everything that matters to them to be here with him for nine weeks. It was a powerful moment for Jill, who had just depleted her college fund and taken a huge risk. So, your job, my job, together, to save seven, almost seven billion people's life. As Jill learned, and everyone at training quickly learned, you are literally stepping into Bikram's world. 100% come into us. Whether you like it, dislike it, believe it, dislike it, want to do it, don't want to do it, it doesn't matter. There was quite a few rules. There was the whole no kissy-kissy, no touchy-touchy, no huggy-huggy, no fucky-fucky. You're there to do yoga, not meet your soulmate. No drinking, no smoking, no drugs. But Bikram's strictest rule was also his weirdest. No green. Bikram apparently hates the color green. So we weren't allowed to have green yoga outfits, green purses, green backpacks, green hats, and like nothing. Students cannot open the mouth. Get the fuck out of here. 
Bikram's not messing around. You're there to work. You're going to be doing two yoga classes a day, one in the morning, one at night. You're booked from early in the morning to late at night with classes, lectures, and clinics. And that schedule goes on five days a week. You're wiped. I mean, you're sleep deprived at that point. Training consists largely of doing the class again and again and of memorizing dialogue. Teacher training is about learning to teach Bikram's class, Bikram's way. And you spend the bulk of your time trying to learn Bikram's dialogue. It's get up and say the script and then go sit down. And then you have three or four people telling you how, how bad you did. And then you repeat that 26 times. And to learn how to teach Bikram's class Bikram's way, you also take a lot of classes from Bikram himself. Welcome to Bikram's torture chamber to kill yourself for the next 90 minutes. Bikram did not teach all the classes at teacher training. Sometimes he'd be out of town and not present at training at all. But when he was there, he would teach the second Bikram class of the day, the evening class. We would all get in there, and it was like a mega church with Bikram at the front in this kind of bright construction cone orange chair that he would call saffron, uh, the color of Guru's immortal. And he would sit up there, and we would all be in strict rows, lined up, 380 people, so you're just a little dot in the sea. No matter where it was, the yoga room more or less always looked the same inside. A huge space with carpet, mirrors on the walls, and a giant podium at the front for Bikram. Students stood in row after row after row everyone wearing as little clothing as humanly possible. They were packed in tight, their mats meticulously arranged so that all 400 of them could fit in the room. From his podium, Bikram, sporting his black Speedo, man bun, and signature Rolex watch, would lead the class. Those classes would go two hours or more. Very hard-driven, very hot. You, You suffered a lot. You either suffer so much that you just hit the floor and can't get back up, or you're just like power through class like you're flying is what I found. The rules here were the same as in every Bikram class. Don't leave the room, no matter what. The staff would stand at the doors and not let you out. There was one time where I started my period and I went out and to push on the door and the staff member looked at me and wagged his finger, no. And, and I pointed down and I, there was blood coming down my legs and he let me out. And I thought, are, are you insane? And this is all happening at this state where you're semi-delirious. It was about 120 degrees with at least 40% humidity, if not more. So you're, you're like, what is this? A- giant hallucination that's going on around me. You know, people were passing out and peeing on their mats and vomiting and... Is this real? Is is this woman just like apparently shit herself next to me because that's what it smells like? And you just kept going. This suffering is what you came for. It's the backbone of training. It's what's breaking you down so you can be rebuilt. And it's what bonds you to your fellow trainees. In the nine weeks that uh, we are at teacher training, something happens. The only way I can describe it is um, I had a girlfriend that said, you know, when you go through something super difficult with someone else, you end up being closer friends. You're closer friends with them than you are with your family. You know, and, and they really do put you through a lot. Hips don't body up, not hips up. What's wrong with you? 
You'll be chicken ass. Why are you going out? Come on. That's right, going out. Bikram's evening class would leave attendees physically and mentally drained. But this was not the end of the day. After the dinner break, trainees would return and once again anxiously await their guru. Bikram would walk in the room and it was like fedora and white snappy suit and, you know, he's bossing everyone around and everyone's calling him boss. During what was known as the evening lecture, all bets were off. Bikram could lecture and then decide to show a Bollywood movie or two Bollywood movies or have more to say after the movie or just lecture into the wee hours of the morning. What can I talk today? The lectures are lectures. They're Bikram talking extemporaneously about whatever's on his mind at the time. And Bikram's favorite lecture topic was Bikram. He's constantly lecturing us about how he never lies, never cheats, never steals, and he's the most spiritual man on this earth. Sometimes it would go off into total left field. You know, I mean, I remember a lecture where he would talk about, you know, how many orgasms he had when he was, or, or no, how many or, well, how many orgasms he had, how many orgasms his partner had. He would talk about being invited to edit scripts by various, you know, I wrote scenes in Being There by Peter Sellers. It's really whatever's on his mind, and it comes off as half raving, half kind of stand-up comedy monologue. And he can, he can be very funny um, in the way of somebody who just says what's ever on their mind. As trainees sat in these lectures, they were often a little thrown by what they heard. But they were willing to persevere because there were moments of pure gold in there, too. And then all of a sudden, he'll go into some vision of, uh, of what it means to be a person and, and like the power of the individual. And, the, you know, it, it will be these truly beautiful sentiments. And he's, he is a man who's capable of great beauty. You hear this in his singing voice, um, in his, just in the way he phrases things. He, he's clearly capable of tapping into that. My one and only Come soon, you are my honey, baby, come Those moments are genuinely beautiful. I feel so lonely, I am lonely, I feel so lonely. This is the great paradox of Bikram Yoga. It may look miserable on the surface, but it has the potential to be totally life-changing. Bikram himself would talk about how he went through the same transformation. He can be quite profound when he talks about yoga and, and spirituality and, uh, and his training with his guru, because he went through a rigorous training with Bishnu Ghosh, and he reflects on that and how he learned self-control. I remember him talking about his mother not liking something that he did and just slapping him across the face, you know, just constantly talking about his personal abuse as a child. And then he talks about his yoga, studying with his guru. It's all very, sounds torturous and, 
I mean, he talks about laying on a bed of nails and, and having motorcycles run over him and him being able to, you know, withstand that, which is, his experience must have been horrible as a child, you know, and you start just thinking like, oh, this is why these classes are really hard. What the fuck you think you're doing? How many times have you carried this shit? How many times you tell me? Year after year, tell me what is the object of the posture? I heard him say ghastly things, and I remember he made a few comments to me. I used to wear, I had very short hair at the time, so I would wear my hair in pigtails because I couldn't get in a ponytail. So he'd always call me high school, hey, high school hair, high school hair. No one could identify and go after your weaknesses like Bikram Chowdhury. Sit! Oi, sit down! Be yes, not at the top. Miss Red, your spine. Should be no hunchback. I remember this one woman who was one of his assistants, actually, and he called her Fatty. He said, hey, Fatty, can you get me some milk? You didn't want to be Miss Boobs. Miss Blondie, look behind you, the picture on the wall. And you didn't want to be Miss Yellow or whatever it was for that day. And, and it's funny, you just find yourself, you know, going away from those people. Miss Blue, Miss Blue. But at the time, you just don't want to be that person. He would scream at people. Why did I think that was okay? Because you just go along with everybody saying, that's just Bikram. That's just Bikram. That's just Bikram. And, and that just was kind of everybody's automatic response to anything that was inappropriate. Bikram has basically created almost like what an alcoholic does. You know, you're tiptoeing around him, always kind of on eggshells and always hoping that you're in the favor of him because you don't want to gr- scream at otherwise. So you're never going to do anything to get screamed at. And I, I think part of me was like trying to almost pick up on his, like, I'm like, this has to be some kind of like, he's fucking with us, right? This has to be some kind of a joke because he would just be so blatantly like, he would literally say something like men are superior to women. Right? And, and so you're just kind of sitting there like, well, that's bullshit. And then, of course, he would say, you go ahead. You leave. I don't care. I already have your money. He would say it like that. He would sing it with that, this little crack. He has this little crackle in his voice. And he would say, I already have your money. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is kind of fucked up. But the cruelty was part of the training. When he called somebody a fat bitch or, you know, lamppost or, you know, skinny mini or drug addict or what have you, in general, I never saw that person not thank him later. And that was, I think, a key component to his crazy behavior and approach that allowed the masses to fully accept his approach Um, because he was trying to tell you the truth And nobody else would, you know. Your parents, your teachers, your coaches, they wouldn't tell you the truth in the way that he would. Look, everybody there is there to transform. It's a self-transformational practice. That's what it's predicated on. And to transform, you need someone to push you. And so everything that he asks can be viewed through the lens of this is a challenge that Bikram is presenting me with. And my job as a yogi is to persist through it to be bulletproof in Bikram's terminology. I'm bulletproof, fireproof, waterproof, windproof, money-proof, sex-proof, emotion-proof, stress-proof, strength-proof. 
nothing in the world can take my peace away from me. If the mantra trainees hear from staff and teachers is trust the process, the mantra of the man in charge is don't let anyone steal your peace. And the way a lot of people tell it, at some point or other in training, you're going to face that mantra head on. For Martha Williams, that came about halfway through her training. Her friend asked a question about difficulty she was having in a posture, and Bikram, in no uncertain terms, told this woman she was fat in front of 200 other trainees. He really insulted her, and I reached over and I held her hand, and he looked at me and he said, you are not her friend. You know, I am telling her the truth, and you know I am. And you, you're, you're giving her false love or something like that. And I just glared at him. Like, how could you possibly, whatever is true or not true, you are hurting this person's feelings right now. And that is wrong. So he actually ripped off his microphone and left the room and got very mad at all of us because <laughs> we weren't, like, on his side. Laura and I left the training that night, called our husbands and said, we're coming home. This is ridiculous. You know, this man is a pig. And um, I think her husband said, great, get on a plane, get out of there. And I called my husband and he said, wait, you're going to let this guy ruin this for you? I don't think so. That's not you. You know, learn what you need to learn and then come home. You know, finish your training. Finish what you went out there to do. And I was like, of course, of course. And it's one of Bikram's most popular teachings, don't let anyone steal your peace. <laughs> it's so ironic because he's the one generally stealing people's peace. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. While Bikram was doing his best to steal their peace and push their buttons, students found themselves turning to Rajashree as a calming force. I don't know why we don't appreciate what we have, our life, right? That's the most important. Today you are here because you are healthy. And that's the life we really have to always pray for it. And the yoga goes for life. She's like the antithesis of Bikram in many ways. She was kinder and softer in the way she taught, in the way she convinced ill students to get back in the room and do more yoga to cure whatever ailed them. Where Bikram was extroverted and self-obsessed, Rajashree was reserved. She was quiet. 
joy is hidden inside of that pain. And today is the day for you that the pain for nine weeks, what you have gone through, today is the day you finding that joy. Over the years, Bikram and Rajashri appeared together at teacher training with less and less frequency. But still, the very fact of her existence, that she was his wife, softened his image for trainees and made behavior that might otherwise have crossed a line seem reasonable. Always there were at least two people massaging him, one on either side, massaging his feet, sometimes also massaging his hands, and at least one other person brushing his hair. There would be students at the teacher training who he would call upon. And to be honest, I didn't really notice whether they went to him or whether he sought them out. But there would be girls who, you know, they would brush his hair and they would massage his feet. He would sit in the back of the room when we were doing our dialogue. And there was, at some point, some points, he would have two or three women Girls, really. I'm, I'm saying women, but I'm, I'm, they're very young, and uh, they'd be massaging his feet. Like, literally, like, one girl on each foot kind of thing. And he would have, like, massaging his arms and then brushing his hair. So just brushing and brushing and brushing. And uh, it was just somehow acceptable. That That's all there was really to it. It, it wasn't, you know, there's always that part of you that's kind of like, what's going on with this like what is what is this but it's just and everyone's answer is oh that's just Bikram I don't remember the first time I heard about the fact that students would massage Bikram or brush his hair at training it was at least a solid decade before I started reporting the story it's just a thing I've sort of known about for a long time sure it was a little weird and a little eccentric But it also wasn't completely out of line with the image and persona he put forth. It was totally out of line with everything else about Bikram Yoga. We didn't go around massaging each other. Students don't touch other students in class. And teachers never touch students in the hot room. That was a rule Bikram made up. But somehow Bikram having students massage him made a weird kind of sense. When I went to training, and then year after year after year, I would think, what have I seen with my own eyes? And what I would always go back to is women lining up like a harem to brush his hair, to massage him, chase him around, and act ridiculous. That's what I saw. A Bikram studio, whether it's at training or anywhere else in the world— can look and feel like a hyper-sexualized environment. It's literally a room full of sweaty people wearing very little. Whether you want it to be or not, your body is on display. And your only real means for expression is with your body. And in any environment where a body is on display, some people will feel incredibly comfortable with that or lean into it for their own advantage. Some people will be oblivious to it and some people will feel powerless against it. And all of that is at play in each and every teacher training, where the number of women far outweigh the number of men. Eric Jennings went to training in 2001. 
I went with an attitude of, I'm here for the yoga. I'm not looking for a guru. Eric had actually taken a class with Bikram once before training at a workshop. After keeping us waiting for um, almost two hours, he literally pranced into the room wearing this kimono, his man bun, and a, uh, what he would later tell us was a very expensive Rolex on his wrist. And um, it really put me off. But Eric had an experience at that workshop, on stage with Bikram while performing the backbend and half-moon pose. Bikram leaned in very close to me, and he said in a very soft and compassionate voice, you can do more. I felt in that moment that he actually saw me for who I was, and it, it really affected me. Eric found that his training was full of moments like that one in the workshop, moments of confusion, where your moral compass feels like it's spinning, trying to align itself to Bikram's, and it's not quite clear which way is north. I, I'm going to sum it up and say that I came away from my nine weeks seeing that he was a very complicated person and that he had a lot of traits and um, attributes and behaviors that I did not understand or appreciate or respect. But at the same time, I also witnessed um, that momentary compassion that I felt with him at the workshop. I saw him be that way with many, many people during the nine weeks. After every session, the hundreds of students who survived nine weeks inside the complicated bubble of teacher training would return to the outside world, where the greater public only knew one side of Bikram Chowdhury, inspiring guru. I saw this dichotomy of, there's two different people in there. And it seemed like he couldn't decide which was the real him. In retrospect, I have to be honest and say, I chose to put blinders on to the disrespectful Bikram and focus on what I saw as the compassionate Bikram. Teacher training grew, and it grew fast. And every time 400 students signed up for training, Bikram took in $4 million. That's $8 million a year, year after year after year. And many of those students opened studios with his name on them, making it so Bikram and his yoga were everywhere. When I went to his training, I believe that I was witnessing Bikram in the early stages of transforming from genuine, naive, intuitive, inspirational teacher. And he was becoming really a multi-level marketing, pyramid scheme promoting shuckster. 